Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Leaders in Supply Chain and Logistics podcast. I'm your host, Radu Palamariu, the Managing Director of Elko Global, and delighted to have with us today His Excellency Deputy Minister for Logistics Services of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Loy Mashabi. Loy, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and it's a pleasure to have you as a guest. Yes, hello, and the pleasure is all mine. So, first and foremost, I was sharing a little bit offline with you as well. I'm Definitely impressed by the career that you have. Yeah, you've you've done both private sector now for many years. You've been in the government side, leading different agencies, a lot to do with logistics, with customs in Saudi Arabia. When you look back at your career, tell the people maybe some inflection points, some key moments, right? In in when you look back and say, okay, this really made a difference and shaped who I am. Yeah, so I've started originally an engineer, a petroleum engineer, and I started in one of the most reputable companies out there, Saudi Aramco, very well-structured and well-equipped company. And I was actually in the field most of the time. I was a rig site foreman and and a production engineer, which dealt uh, quite a lot with logistics. And uh, quite frankly, one of the most, one of the toughest logistics out there, very strict and very difficult. So I was exposed to operations and logistics quite earlier on. And after about 10 years visiting every corner of Saudi and, and, and a few cities in Texas as well, I've moved into the private sector, providing oil and gas services to companies, multinationals such as Lumberjay and Halliburton, ultimately serving Aramco and Saudi fields. And we were more in, into operations, you know, chemical mixing and nitrogen purging and stuff like that. But we've, we faced challenges with our logistics suppliers. And we've decided to establish our own logistics arm to support our operations. It was so vital that we do it properly. And this is how I was introduced properly into the world of logistics, oil and gas logistics, be it there. So after a few years in that company, I moved uh, across Saudi into another city, into ports world. So I was in charge of a bonded zone in Jeddah Islamic Port, the largest port in Saudi Arabia. And during that period, it was was around the period where I got my master's from London Business School. So again, applying some of the business aspects of it, uh, strategy and and marketing and and business development, along with the operational background. A few years there, I got to work closely with government, customs and ports authority mainly for new products and projects. And this was around the time where the vision was established. And it was a new government on which, as a private sector, we used to go and and show them opportunities and they would respond quickly and we would launch products together. And it was a very fruitful and successful few years. This is when I fell in love with working in the government sector. I previously would not have you know, looked up for it, but after those engagements, uh, I got excited and I moved to the capital in Riyadh and I joined. First, I was with PIF, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, for an exciting project reporting directly, the project reporting directly to His Royal Highness, on which I got to know the man in charge, his personality, his thought process, his energy, quite frankly, into every meeting and he goes into. And when I got to Riyadh, I got to know people even closer. And I worked with customs, you know, looking after their transformation for a few years. We got down, you know, our clearance process from 38 hours on to under two hours during those oh, two, wow. two years. But what was more impressive than that reduction was our seizures uh, and capture rate quadrupled through the same time. So we have we became faster, but also we became smarter, you know, 
counting heavily on intelligence and targeting centers rather than just random inspections and lengthy inspections. So that was before I joined the Ministry of Transportation. There was a new, new direction by the government. We have noticed that the global clientele was asking the logistic providers for end-to-end services. So many companies in the private sector started integrating vertically, horizontally, diagonally, you name it. This is, it was, you know, the logistics sector was reshaping quite drastically. And freight forwarders was also, the, the scope of work of freight forwarders was also expanding quite significantly. We've decided as regulators, we need to unify as well. You cannot have a regulator for the seaside and a different one for air side and land and, and so on and zones without really integration and end-to-end thought process. So we have established a new deputyship called Logistic Services, and I was the first one to be assigned on that deputyship. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And I also know that Saudi Arabia would jump, has a significant jump yeah, in, the, in the World Bank's Logistics Performance Index. I think he went 17 ranks, if I'm not mistaken, which is probably the biggest jump recorded last time they measured it. Tell us a little bit some of the key achievements. I know that this comes two years yeah, after you launched the National Transport and Logistics Strategy. So talk to us a little bit about that. No, correct. And you know the way the government works today, let me introduce the vision a little bit. So the vision 2030 aims to diversify the economy, have a better lifestyle to the population, capitalize on the intrinsic strengths of Saudi Arabia, the location, the young population, the access to capital, the good relations with with the world. And based on that, there were vision realization programs that were initiated where they have strategy set, KPI set, and most of the work done to achieve those strategies come from multiple government entities and private sector. And hence, we needed to create those vehicles of basically approving the funding of projects and monitoring the progress. The government in Saudi Arabia is now run pretty much like a corporation where every quarter we literally meet His Royal Highness, show the improvement in the KPIs that were set for us and the budget that was allocated for us. If we do great, we get a tap on the shoulder and additional support. If we do bad, we are harshly questioned and potentially replaced. And this is as simple as this. So there is clarity and focus on execution on that end. And global indices are good indicators, but they're also indicative and not the ultimate goal. We are cognizant that volumes, economic capture, economic value, protecting also our nation from harmful, you know, products and what have you, are top priorities. Where these, you know, in different indices may not necessarily improving in them may not necessarily lead to a better economy or better security. And hence, we do we aspire to improve, but cognizant of what the index measures exactly and what do we really want to achieve. And I'll give you an example, maybe not logistics related, but it's a funny example. In the women equality score, we're among the highest now in the world, but we would not reach the highest, uh, the, the perfect score, because we gave you know, maternity leave for women that is longer than for the fathers. And we want to keep it this way. We want them to have the ability to have longer maternity leaves. If we want to have it equal, this might actually, in our opinion, not be in the benefit of, of, of ladies and females. And hence, we have decided to do what's best for our people. And and even if that comes at the cost of achieving the highest score, that's just an example. 
So obviously, the beautiful thing about the logistic performance index is it's perception-based. It is widespread. It's sent to hundreds of companies. And even though, because the report, the latest report has some numerical calculations, some actual on-the-ground calculations, and it has the score based on the perception. We have found that we have improved much more than 17 ranks on the actual performance as far as turnaround, the, you know, of ships or airplanes and connectivity and so on and so forth. But in the perception, it's still lagging. So A, it showed us at least on the numerical or in the actual on the ground performance, uh, the, the improvement is better. That was you know, calculated by the World Bank and their, in their methodologies. But it's also showed us that we need to do more marketing and we need to reach out more to the global players who might have brokers between us and them that, you know, they are not fully informed about the, some of the improvements we have done and so on and so forth. And this is an area of focus during this year. Mm. And I mean, look, I mean, to share openly, yeah, so I was in Riyadh a few months ago, and even if I, I like to think that I'm fairly open-minded on one side, and I like to think that I'm fairly informed, right? Being there, I realized some of my own biases, yeah, so I mean, I was perhaps having some old image of, of Saudi Arabia, I was very much impressed. And I'm not saying this lightly or just because we're recording this podcast. I really liked one, people, friendliness, the pace of business, the pace of progress. But it did take me to be there, yeah, to 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 actually yeah. experience it. And and also from this, like just to piggy bank a little bit of what you said with the government being run as a corporation. Again, there's no system in this world that is perfect. However, I do strongly believe that having this very paced execution focused is fairly rare in a world which, uh, of course, typically political systems have, you know, have different leverages and different bureaucratic things that make them very slow. Whereas with Saudi Arabia and with the KPIs that you are implementing is fairly fast paced. So I think that is to be appreciated in terms of improvement. So specifically for the last two years, and you've done a lot, but I'm just curious, yeah. what would be some of the biggest projects that from a logistics and transport perspective you say, okay, this was really some of the stuff that I'm very proud that we completed? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I'll, I'll cover it from regulative point of view, economic policies point of view, and infrastructure point of view. So from the regulative point of view, we have created a single license for all logistics. So it's one license, automated, online, immediate, which allows you to do all your logistic activities within the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And there is a council with the biggest players in the private sector and some of the startups as well, that every six months give recommendations on the changes of some of the regulations for that particular license. We've initiated this about 18 months ago, when there are more than 1,700 companies that have obtained that license, which is simplification of process. We have also launched these special economic zones around some of our key ports. I sit on the board of the free zone next to Riyadh Airport, and we have already leased all of phase one, and we, did not, we do not have a CEO yet. We just started the company. We just started the zone. The infrastructure is not completed. We already have the anchor tenant, obviously, being Apple, which was announced about a year ago with partnership with Unipart. But then we have leased all of phase one and we haven't really finished the, the which shows the interest of global players to be next to an economic growing, economically growing city and a, really a purchasing power that is quite significant in the region. But we have a three, a four additional four zones, three zones that were announced, and there are another four in the pipeline 
to complement. It is important to say, as we're developing those, they are not completely open. They will not have thousands and thousands of companies. We are selective in what comes in. Those who bring in value economically, those who bring in job opportunities, those who bring in significant global or foreign direct investment, and those, frankly, who are quite governed in their you know, monetary transactions and in their businesses, these are the ones that we allow to come in. So it will not be completely open or with little oversight. There will be oversight because we are we do have a significant industrial arm into our economy and we want to make sure also we do not harm that in the process. But I've also, on customs side, I've explained how now it is less than two hours. 80% of our inbound material gets cleared before arrival. So pre-arrival clearance is now the predominant method of clearance. Authorized economic operators, those big companies that have right, the right governance, from the right airports or from the right seaports or from the right companies are almost automatically let in with random checks that are less than 1%. Because we trust those companies, we've, you know, we've worked with them, we trust those airports and we've worked with them and so on and so forth. On the other hand, seaports or airports or countries or companies that we have typically higher hit rate of, you know, bad practices, those are, you know, slowed down and fully inspected. And so it is you know, quite a different way of looking at things. We've also changed the regulation regarding transshipment, transit, uh, and transfer. All of these numbers, you know, in transshipment, it is more than 100% more this year than last year. And it was already more than 100% more last year than the year before. We're picking transshipment quite significantly mm-hmm. into our seaports because in the past, we did not allow any transshipment unless the type of product was allowed into the country. But now if it is in transshipment, even if it drives through the country, even if it does not meet our quality checks, or if it's not something that is typically allowed into the country, we now allow that to pass through the country. Obviously, drugs and weapons are not among those that we tolerate. This is as far as you know some of the major regulation changes, and this is based on discussion with the private sector. On economic policies, it's a massive change. Basically, almost all operators now in the sea and air, their revenue share model with the asset owner is based on performance and not as if it was in the past, it's just a price tag or a flat Mm -hmm. flat rate. If you turn around the ship faster, if you turn around an airplane faster, if you, and so on and so forth, you get more money as a terminal operator or as a ground handler or so on and so forth. If you don't, then you get penalized and eventually even asked the concession is canceled if you do not perform. So they are all now performance-based contracts in those airports and, and, and seaports, which really led to significant change in the quality of service and predictability of service. And everyone is happy. Also, the terminal operators now make more money in the yeah. process because the volume is also jumping, jumping up in the process. So economic policies are quite drastically different. We are doing also a structural change in all the government. The regulator used to be also the port owner and operator, historically. Now, all operator, asset owners and terminal operators and so on and so forth are separate from the regulator. So there is a better governance structure between both parties. Finally, on the infrastructure part, we have on the seaside, we've got some of the best ports in the world with some of the most renowned operators also globally that invest in Saudi. 
in the ancillary services that really complement the port services, this is where the area we have focused. So there are nine new added value services next to our seaports, and none of them are by Saudi companies. So Maersk Line has a new one, MSC Line, Costco, DP World, and so on and so forth. All of them are starting to do logistic services next to our seaports. Seaports do not really need significant infrastructure additions. And in our air side, you've heard the King Salman five runway airport project, 200 billion. That is quite significant. But even between now and the realization of that new airport, three new terminals opened in Riyadh airport. And there is a new terminal being opened in Jeddah airport. We are the fastest growing tourism country in the world as far as tourism is concerned in the past couple of years. This brings in planes and the bellies of these planes can be filled with e-commerce and other uh, cargo. So even on that front, we are expanding quite significantly. I want to finish with the fleet. You've seen there is an order of 100 plus airplanes, white bodies that was announced between Riyadh Air and Saudi Airlines. So now we will have a dual hub strategy with dual national carriers working in tandem to help us reach the 250 direct destinations and the 300 million passengers. All these additional planes will come in great for tourism, great for business, but also great for cargo as well. On the seaside, we already have stakes in some of the biggest shipping lines in the world, like Habagloid and so on and so forth. But we are establishing feeder vessel manufacturing and feeder vessel operations to help us reach more into India, Pakistan. Really, if you look at it, we are surrounded by, you know, locked potential that could be amazing as these countries' economic, you know, growth happens. We have Iran in the east, along with India and Pakistan. We have Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon in the north, Yemen in the south, and East Africa on the west. Everywhere you look, there is a potential for logistics to play a significant role into better trade and better economic thrive and growth. And this is the mentality we're approaching those connections. And this is why we have established this feeder vessel, a company in manufacturing, and we have another company for operating those feeder vessels as well. Perhaps lastly, I will end with rail. I've covered maybe air and we have the land bridge project that connects east and west. So the Gulf with the Red Sea, seven different cities, five different seaports, three different airports are all connected by a rail project that will take seven years to finish for cargo and for the most part passengers as well. This is phase one, we call it the land bridge, but also there is a GCC rail project between Oman, UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. This was phase two, but it got too exciting that it is now moved into phase one and we're expecting to see the first connection completed within less than three years. So all the GCC countries are in line with the project and quite frankly, many global governments slash companies are interested to be part of the development of that infrastructure project. And hence we have moved it a little bit faster. Well, it's not often that you hear that in uh, in governments that uh, the projects are fast-tracked. And, and especially, I mean, you're, you're talking about a fairly a very significant project. And uh, also it fits quite well with the sustainability aspects, right? Because rail is obviously better in that respect. 
Now, quick commercial break for me, because you said you're looking for a CEO. Our day job is actually executive search. So, you know, uh, you, <laughs> if you need help, come to us. <laughs> Secondly, and maybe specifically, I wanted to perhaps also share with the audience, and you've told me a little bit about it on the, our last call, but about the, the bigger vision. And you, you spoke a little bit about your neighbors, but ultimately from a positioning, geographical position perspective alone, Saudi Arabia is quite uniquely positioned, yeah, because you're touching three continents, yeah, Africa, Asia, Europe, touching, well, thereabouts, yeah. So what's the, the ultimate, let's say, goal? What's the 2030 vision? What, after all these projects are completed, how will it look like? Yeah, so I think, and I did mention that we want to capitalize on our intrinsic you know, advantages. We do have the most prominent buying, purchasing power in the region, be it for consumables, but also really for raw material and you know, manufacturing purposes and so on and so forth. I'll give you an example. You know, people are familiar with iHerb, you know, one of the e-commerce B2C companies. Their sales in Saudi Arabia is larger than their sales in the U.S., and it's, a US, it's an American company, in absolute numbers, not per capita. This is why they picked Riyadh as their distribution center. Riyadh alone as a city is 70% of their overall sales. And this really can be applied to many other consumables and FMCG products and, and e-commerce products and so on and so forth. So we do have this captive demand that is great that we need to capitalize on. And I sit on the board of Saudi Cargo. Our load factor coming in is 95%, never been below that. So we do have, even if without having the free zones, even without having the facilitation, the ancillary services and value added services, we do have demand coming in, which makes, you know, logistics is all about keeping those moving assets full the whole time and not, you know, move empty. So that's, that's one advantage that we capitalize on. Now, obviously, with the free zones, which allows for re-export with the feeder vessel, with the higher air passenger connectivity. This also allows for export balance that really yields to significantly reduced cost and time for goods to come in and out. And this is how we look at our region. By no means, we are focusing on taking a bigger market share of, of the transit goods. That is not the priority. The priority is to grow that market. We believe it could be 10 times larger than it is today. So it is great to have the Abu Dhabis and Dubais next to us. And hopefully soon Ain Sukhna in Egypt and Djibouti as well. Iraq, massive potential. The more these cities and, and ports grow, the more we believe we're in a position where we can make more out of it. Everyone really in the process, but us especially as well because of our location capabilities there. And, and, and I'll give you an example. For tourism alone, tourism between Saudi and Dubai is massive now. It is one of the busiest, if not the busiest, connection between two cities. It's always the top three. It just gives you an example of how both cities, Riyadh, Dubai, for example, benefit from being captive places where many, many people feel that they can go and live and thrive and, and, and achieve their goals and feel secure and safe and so on and easy to do business. And this is really what we're trying to do with our connections. If you've noticed, uh, some are announced and some are not announced, but we've, we, we're working closely with all our neighbors into 
we work on commerce, we work on trade, you know, logistics, we work on financing, uh, co-financing projects, we work on, on energy sharing. So it's really, we want everyone to grow with us and really create a block between us, Africa, Iran, and, and North and South, where really the economic activity is of significant, significant larger size. Mm. And if I was um, speaking as a, as a private company within transport and logistics, looking to come to Saudi Arabia or looking potentially to invest in Saudi Arabia, what would you say are the top three, two, three, let's say, carrot points which would attract us to invest? So I think this is the time to make billions in Saudi. It really is because almost, not almost, we're one of the most, in the G20 countries, we're the second as far as connectivity and internet speed, the 5G coverage and so on and so forth. Our online shopping is already well above 20% of overall all trade within Saudi Arabia, trade value. The food and beverage sector, the online delivery apps already form 45% of the whole FMB sector in Saudi Arabia. And there are only five big players in that domain. It's a trillion, you know, I don't want to say the number, I'm not sure what the number is. It's a massive market size. And you know, there are still a few, relatively a few number of players. Anyone who comes with so this is a savvy young generation who's very well acquainted with technology as consuming it, but also in, in programming. We have some of the best programmers also in the region. Anyone who comes with, with significant, with an improvement to services, with automation, with efficiency, will win quite big. And we're seeing, if you look at all the familiar faces in Saudi who have access here, a big European names, big American names, and now big Chinese names who are expanding quite significantly in Saudi. I'll give you an example. The number one last mile delivery company in Saudi is now is, is a Chinese company. And they've only entered the market a few years ago. So they're an incumbent, but they have experience, they have services, they can provide predictability and so on and so forth. And this just gives you an example. If you have the right service and understand the market properly, you can really make make money out of this. Yes, yeah. for, for sure. And specifically on the point of, you mentioned a little bit talent and people and, you know, skills of the young generations, specifically for logistics and supply chain, are there certain initiatives that you're taking at the government level to train upskill or skill in general, right? Because you, you need this, this type of bright individuals to come and make a dent in logistics and supply chain. Yeah. There's definitely a work around making logistics, for lack of a better word, uh, sexy again. And we do have, a few years ago, we've established the Logistics Academy with partnership with the private sector. There are more than 15 companies now, the DHLs, the RMX, e-commerce companies, and freight forwarders. Every student in this academy already has a job secured with one of these companies or was sent by one of these companies. And they do vocational training, you know, on uh, warehouse management and freight forwarding and, and custom clearance, global cross-border regulations and so on and so forth. And it's been quadrupling in size year on year. It was only in Riyadh a couple of years ago when it was established. Now we are opening even a larger facility in Jeddah, our second largest city. So that is 
one of the initiatives that we have with the Logistics Academy. The Logistics Academy also has agreements with uh, universities such as Berkeley and I can't remember the name, but something in Spain, in Zaragoza. Zaragoza, uh, MIT scale, yeah. That could be it. And, and they send mid-level and top-level management and logistic companies there for a few months for training and, and advanced training as well. So this is something we are picking up as government. But quite honestly, also private sector now has academies on that domain as well, be it in the aviation sector and also in, in overall logistics. I think there are about six academies now that, that are there. So it is part of my job as a deputy minister of logistics is to promote all of these things. So I, I tend to visit those academies all the time and meet the people there. Mind you, with the automation of most warehouses now, with the B2C facilities that are out there, with the proximity to large cities, we can attract higher talent into this sector and they can make higher pay. One of the KPIs we have by our center of government is creating jobs, but then how much do they pay? And if you create so many jobs, but the pay is low, then your score is low. You need to fix that. And this is something <laughs> we, are, we are asked to look into as well. And that's also encouraging, for me at least, to see people like yourself putting and, and sharing this content. So one, you're, you're also young, yeah? So I think that, that youth and dynamism counts. And two, we need more people like you to tell that story or that narrative of, look, logistics is actually interesting. It's not just, you know, dust and warehouses and moving boxes. Actually, there's a lot more to it. It's quite complex. There's a lot of technology going inside of it more and more. As well as, well, you know, we, without logistics, none of us gets food on the table, <laughs> you know, it's like, very, and I think that that narrative being told and you getting involved and people like yourself is important for the young generation to also find that this is an attractive place yeah. and not only go to. But I also want to say this is true for Saudis, young Saudis, but also true for, you know, global young and bright population. As I, I told you maybe before we, you know, went online or live. On my flight back from Bucharest just a couple of weeks ago, there were quite a number of young Romanian people who've never been to Saudi before, and they were with me on the plane. And now we have, you know, Wizz Air yes. having direct flights to many, many destinations, among which is Bucharest. And I was on that plane and I was asking them, have you been to Saudi before? They said, no, this is the first time. We're excited. I said, are you visiting? They said, we're going to go work in Neom. So a bunch of Romanian young engineers got job opportunities in building one of the most aspiring, most definitely one of the most advanced technological, really end of exploration out there. And I think this is also true to many other young and bright engineers globally. So this is exciting for us as we are getting more and more bright minds also coming to Saudi and, and being part of, of that change. I, I mean, I... You know, I mean, we know Anna in common, yeah? And yeah, she was telling me, I spoke to her a few weeks ago and she came from Riyadh to Bucharest and she said the plane was full, Bucharest, capital of Romania, the plane was full. So I, th <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely incoming traffic. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about this at the global level. And I think the more we share, the more we tell these great examples of how people are, are working and making a difference within logistics and supply chain, the more the youth will also come join and obviously make a difference. Now, on, on that note, final two questions. So one more on what one piece or two pieces of advice would you give for somebody that's maybe freshly graduating, wanting to 
you know, to make a great career, whether it's private or public, what would you say helped you the most in your career? That's good. What I would say is technical knowledge, what you learn in university is important. It gives you insight and, and, and really tests your discipline and, and, and resilience in, in many ways. But really being, in my humble opinion, disciplined in the first few years, foremost, now being disciplined, being patient, being inquisitive, working with purpose and the purpose, we're all working to make money, but the, but the purpose should be of higher value, really, towards learning, capturing, reading, understanding, and having an open mind. That is far more important, particularly in the first five years of your career. This is what sends you really, distinguishes you from others. How do young people really, some of them really get promoted much faster and get more valuable later on down the road? It's because they obtain the best knowledge. They have the better understanding of the subject. So that, so that discipline, that inquisitive mind, that purpose, when you go to the office, you must have a purpose of what you're doing, but why are you doing it? And, and who comes before you and who comes after you? How can you make the life of those before you and after you even better? That is the advice I give. And with time, you know, promotion, salary opportunities will come. But don't jump just quickly on the best pay if the education and the purpose and the clarity and the vision is not there in the organization or in the industry. So maybe that's, that's really globally and in Saudi as well. But I think that is what I tell my, my brother and sister as well and my friends. Yeah. Yes. And final question. Since, you know, the Saudi Arabia football transfer market is the hottest in the world, <laughs> got to ask yes. you, what's your favorite team? I mean, are you allowed to share what's your favorite team? In- <laughs> my, favorite, uh, my favorite team will be playing the World Cup. It is the champion of last year and season in Saudi Arabia. It is an Etihad, it's Jeddah-based. And we are, now we have Benzema, Jota, Fabinho, Kante, all joining an already impressive team. And hopefully we'll see you in in Riyadh. I think in a few months we'll see you in Riyadh. And it will be a spectacular event, I'm sure. Super, super. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, if they they win, it would be, I'm sure it would be going to be a national holiday and and, and so on. I mean, ultimately, you know, even at the World yeah. Cup, Saudi Arabia was the only one that beat the champions, right? So, <laughs> yeah, oh, it was an, unfor- an unforgettable. I have quite a few Argentinian friends, and it was, we had quite fun, <laughs> me and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm sure that's a night that you will never forget for, for sure. Well, Minister Lloyd, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for the great, great sharing. Keep up the great work in Saudi Arabia and keep pushing the logistics and transportation sector. And yeah, looking forward to hearing more great stories soon. Thank you. And I look forward to more and more business with our also partners and the region. I think if I end with something, I think trade, logistics are means of communication and connection. And we desperately need more of that in today's world. In the past year alone, I've been to Serbia, Iraq, Djibouti, Germany, I'm going to China next week. Really, the I would say the silent majority of the world population is longing for connection, openness, common ground, respect, and opportunities. And I, as a logistician, we're all for opening more, more doors. Love that. Brilliant, brilliantly said. Uh, we have enough of the, uh, yeah, yeah, the tensions and 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 whatnot. And um, indeed, the more trade, the more transport, the more commerce, 
the more you are interconnected. So there's less likelihood that, that something goes awfully wrong in the middle. Exactly. Super. That's our job. <laughs> exactly. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.